Well, if you have a Bible, please open at Matthew chapter 7, and we have two more studies this week, and then next week, um, and that's the same for Revelation, and then we have um, the 15th and 22nd, really, we'll be looking at the Christmas story, and then obviously then Christmas Day on the 25th, if you've, if you've managed to not know about that. You know, Christmas Day is 25th, yeah? We'll have a service then as well. Let's pray. Father, these are the words of Jesus, and he gives them to us very carefully, and he has many things in mind. May we know your mind now. May we hear your word, and by your Spirit will you apply it to our hearts. Because we want to know your blessing upon our lives, your smile upon our lives. We want to know that we we are indeed going the right way with you. And that we're not lost, but we really are yours. And that we've made wise choices. Bless us as we meet together and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus begins this... uh, Long conclusion to this greatest of all sermons. And basically, Jesus is asking, what are you going to do with all this teaching I've given you? I mean, who are you, really? He's less interested in what we say, but he is interested in that too. He's less interested in what we do, although we have to do the right thing. He's more interested in who we are, who we really are. Because there's a temptation for us to get lost in a gap between hearing the gospel and doing the gospel. There's a big gap and sometimes we can get lost in the gap. So, we can be a people here in RPC who hear the gospel, we agree with the gospel, we're moved by the gospel, we even like the gospel, but we don't do it. We're not changed by the gospel. And Jesus knows there is this great danger. He knows that there is the danger of admiring the gospel without acting out the gospel. He knows that conviction without commitment will, will squeeze what little spirituality there is in our lives right out of us. And will simply go with the world. Lost and abandoned. So we've got to hear the gospel, believe it, and do it. And so in this conclusion, from verse 13 to the end, Jesus repeats really two things. This is what I think he says. I think he's saying there is a necessity of choosing whether we're going to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ or not. There's this choosing we must undertake. And the second thing is, there's only two choices There's only two choices. We see this over and over again. Two gates, the narrow and the wide. Two ways, the narrow and the broad. Two destinations, life and destruction. Two groups, the few and the many. Two trees, good and bad. Two types of fruit, good and bad. Two kinds of people who profess salvation, the sincere and the false. Two builders, wise and foolish. Two foundations, rock and sand. Two houses, secure and insecure. It's crystal clear, isn't there? There are lots of twos, and we have a choice. 
Which way are we going to fall? Which way are we going to be? So we have a lot to get through. Uh, I preached this oh, many, many years ago, and we, uh, three studies on it, so we're trying to squeeze into one. So we've got to fasten our seatbelts and let's go for it, okay? This is the first thing Jesus says. Enter the narrow gate, verse 13. Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus demands action. This is a command. And there's a sense of urgency. Enter the narrow gate because he says there are actually two gates. The narrow gate and the wide gate. The narrow gate is the one he wants us to enter. Now, everyone, and I mean everyone here, enters one of these two gates. It's unavoidable. You have already, even right now, entered one of these two gates, the narrow gate or the wide gate. Jesus pleads with us, commands us to enter the right gate. And the the good news is, actually, the narrow gate is Jesus Christ himself. John 10 verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And so Jesus here is talking about his blood-bought salvation. The narrow gate is Jesus himself. We, we enter through him. We enter in him. And it's a narrow gate. Have you ever been called narrow-minded? I have been a few times. Well, if you've been called narrow-minded, it's, it's not good. If It's because you are a um, self-righteous, list-carrying legalist. You know, that kind of narrow-mindedness. That's not good. But... It is good if it means that you've entered through Jesus into eternal life. Call me, call me narrow-minded if that's the meaning of that. I'm glad to be narrow-minded. You need to be narrow-minded when it comes to this issue. The reason why we preach and teach and witness and proclaim the narrow way is not because it suits us. Although, let's be honest, it does suit some kinds of personalities and characters and temperaments. It's not because of that. We preach and teach and witness and proclaim the narrow way because Jesus has designated that it is the only way. It is his way. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So there's a narrow gate, but there's also this wide gate. While the narrow gate is exclusive, the wide gate is all-inclusive. You know, It's wide. It means there's, it's, there's ample space. Um, and the implication is, and we see this, that it's very popular and it's very easy. Many enter through it, we're told in verse 13. It's a, a wide gate. And it's far more appealing, far more inviting than the narrow one. Because it means anything else or anyone else but Jesus. And the options out there are, ah, numerous. Far too numerous even to number or to name. And I suppose the question many of us have to wrestle with is is this. Who would choose surrendering to Jesus and following after Jesus when you could live whatever way you like? Because the world says, live whatever way you like. Why on earth would we choose Jesus? 
So the wide gate is easy and it's appealing and many enter through it. God always has a, a people and always will have, but often they're small in number. You know, folks, we've got to choose wisely. And you're already making your choice. You already have gone through the narrow gate or the wide gate. And then there's kind of two roads. Um, narrow here means to get rid of the unnecessary stuff that would hold us back. The idea is different to the narrow used uh, of the gate. This is a narrow road. Uh, it means we're to jettison unhelpful things. And that's why I quoted there from Hebrews, where to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Or someone put it like this, the highway to hell is easy. The highway to holiness is hard. It can be lonely. And it can be costly. Too many of us want the joy of feeling right without the inconvenience of being right. So we want to feel, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven without all the inconvenience that comes from living that way. Too many want salvation to be an addition to their living rather than a transformation of their living. So we've got this narrow road. We've got to choose carefully. And then we've got this broad road. That's the other option, because there are two roads. The broad road suggests an idea of spaciousness. There's plenty of room to do your own thing in this road. It's easy, it's attractive, it's indulgent, it's permissive. You just sort of hit cruise control, and you sit back, and you enjoy the ride, and you can go any way you like, and there's all kinds of options, because the road is broad, and the options are many. So we've got this big, wide road, with big, wide lanes, with lots of big, wide vehicles, full of big, wide people, going their way, their own way. It's popular, and it's accommodating, and it's attractive. But ultimately, it's deceptive and destructive. Here's the dilemma we all have, isn't it? We really want to go to heaven then. But we also really want to have options here on earth, don't we? And Jesus says, no. The road is narrow. Don't choose the broad road. And so the temptation always is to be open to all kinds of things, all other kinds of options. You know, so when it comes to things like money or sex or fashion or entertainment, we, we want to um, stretch the moral limits. Let's see how far we can go. Before we break the law. So many of us who are actually on the narrow road. The truth is we want to be on the broad road. 
So if you can imagine the narrow roads here, and the broad roads are way over here, we're, we're, we're moving along on the narrow road, nice and slowly, doing fairly well, but we're looking across, and we see this massive, big, broad road over here. It's full of all kinds of options, all kinds of freedoms, no restrictions. You can do whatever you want with sex. You can do whatever you want with money. You can do whatever you want with your life. And it's very attractive because this is a narrow road because you've come through the narrow gate of Jesus. And over there, there's so-called freedom. Two roads. And Jesus says, choose wisely. But there's also two destinations. Life and destruction. Let's read these verses again. In case you think I'm just making this all up. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only if you find it. The two destinations are life and destruction, heaven or hell. If there was a sign over the narrow gate, possibly it would say... The way to heaven. Okay? Yeah? The way to heaven. If there was a sign over the wide gates and the, the broad road, what would the sign be? I would suggest the sign would be the way to heaven as well. Because that's what both are offering. So this narrow road here, the big broad road, both are offering you heaven. But only one is telling you the truth. Both promise the good life, salvation, God and heaven. But the wide gates only, only can give you destruction or hell while life comes when we follow in the narrow way, the narrow road to heaven. And then there's two groups, of course. The few and the many. Let's read again. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many... Enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we've got group A going through the narrow gate, travel along the, the narrow way, they're destined for life, and they're few number compared to the other group, group B, going through the wide gate along the broad route way towards destruction, and many are on that route. Which group are you in? John was already praying this morning that we know which group we're in. Which group are you in? Are you with the many in the broad road? Or are you in the few that are in the narrow road? By the way, the many on the broad road will include pagans as well as nominal Christians. The many will include atheists as well as unsaved religious people. The broad road will include humanists, as well as unsaved churchy people. Here's, here's the thing that really frustrates me for some of the folk who are churchy and religious and moral and good, and I love them, and I've known them for a long time. Do you know what they think because of all of that they're going to heaven? Do you know, the, do you know what the sad reality is? They will end up with the pagans and the atheists and the humanists. Because there's only one way. There's only one way. Somebody agrees with me. There's only one way. And it's through Jesus. 
There's a parallel account of this particular passage in uh, Luke 13. And a, a, a man sort of at the ends of it sort of asks, well, he's more interested in the numbers. How many? How many? How many's many? How many's few? Who's going to be in the many? Who's going to be few? And you know what Jesus says to him? What about you, man? What about you? Stop thinking about the others. Stop thinking about the people at the back or at the front or at the sides or the people beside you. What about you? See, the gospel is wonderful truth because it saves us and changes us. And it says to us again, Jesus says, right at the end of this brilliant sermon, he says, I want you to enter through me, the narrow gate. And I want you to come along the narrow road, directed by the word and by the spirit. And I want you to get to the destination of life. And he says, I can guarantee you that there at least will be a few people with you. A few people. Maybe not many, but a few. That's what he says to you and to me today. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Enter through the narrow gate. Secondly, beware of false prophets, verse 15 to 20. Satan, of course, is the hater of people. And Satan is the source of all kinds of lies. And his goal is destruction, and his process is deception. It all began back in the Garden of Eden, of course. The lies that Satan whispered into the ear of Eve are still believed today by multitudes of people. God is not telling you the truth. Isn't that what he said to Eve? God is holding out on you, Eve. Eve, your wisdom is enough. But you can be free if you sin. All lies and the lies continue to be spewed out even in this generation. Satan counterfeits the truth. And so, what we have here? Well, we have a warning. Watch out for false prophets there at the beginning of verse 15. They are real. They will come. This is not a false warning. It's always been like this. The Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel, were tormented by false prophets and false teachers. And more were promised. Jesus says in Matthew 24, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. (laughs) We've been warned. In Acts 20, Paul warned the Ephesian elders, even from your own number, Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Don't be naive. I've had people say to me, but, but he's irreverent. He wears that thing around his neck, you know, that clerical collar. He, he's been to Bible college. Does that mean anything? It means nothing unless he really is what he says he is. Now, we're not to embark upon a heresy hunting policy. Let's spot the heretic. Let's burn all the... We're not supposed to be getting into that. However, we're also not supposed to be naive, says Jesus. Now, at best... These false prophets might be misguided and foolish. 
ignorant of the gospel and ignorant of theology. It's still no excuse, by the way, because anybody who puts themselves in a place like here or in a place of proclaiming what they believe to be the gospel will be judged more strictly. James 3 verse 1 is very clear about that and other places too. It's no excuse for ignorance. Ignorance is no excuse, but it might be that they're simply ignorant. At worst, they are extremely dangerous. They're worse than the dogs and the pigs that we looked at in verse 6 a few weeks ago. And they exist, folks. And if Jesus says they exist, then they exist in our community. They exist in our area. And we are, we are duty-bound to know who they are and stay well clear and warn others to stay clear. So there's a warning, but there's also an encouragement here because we can actually uh, spot them. This is good news. We can recognize them. We can detect them. Play a little game with me. If it looks like a sheep, if it sounds like a sheep, if it acts like a sheep, it's probably a... Ah, Jesus says, yeah, most of the time, that's correct, but sometimes they can actually be ferocious wolves dressed up as sheep. They come to you in sheep's clothing, verse 15. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. So yeah, they might act and sound and look like a sheep, but they can be something else. And we see this, I suppose, in a couple of ways. Doctrine, particularly, is um, how they can come across. Sometimes, most times, they actually say nothing wrong. Because they use the right language, they use the right words, they use the right ideas. Rarely do they come out with publicly stating something that's untrue, although some do. The problem stems more often from what they do not say. It's what they leave out rather than what they put in. And that's why they can be so dangerous. They're like, yes, um, wolves who are dangerous and deceptive because they come as sheep. And so we need to be on our guard. In verses 16 to 19, um, Jesus changes the metaphor from sheep to trees because he points out, yes, and very wisely, that a wolf may disguise himself as a sheep for a long, long time and get away with it for, for a long, 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 long time, but a tree cannot hide its identity forever because sooner or later it reveals or betrays itself by, by its fruit. And twice Jesus warns about this in verse 16. By their fruit you will recognize them. Verse 20. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Now recognize here means to um, have full knowledge of. So they reveal themselves very clearly so we know who they really are. And eventually over time the tree or the preacher in this case shows by its fruit exactly what it is. And so we've got to listen carefully. We've got to watch and we've got to wait, and the fruit will be revealed. Now, when it comes to um, doctrine, and this is what we're thinking of here particularly, there are certain doctrines that these folks will just simply avoid, like the holiness of God, for instance, um, the doctrine of judgment, or the depravity of man. And most often, it will be a bloodless message. In other words, there's very little mention of the cross because there's very little mention of sin 
because there's very little mention of judgment. Listen to these people. Do they even read from the Bible? Do they mention the horror of sin and the wonder of salvation? Do they take us to the cross where Christ died to pay for our sin? Do they even recognize that there's a problem with sin? Or is it all about me feeling good about myself, living merrily here and feeling, getting on some kind of emotional high? They're soft on core issues and core doctrines. This is where they can deceive us. And one commentator pointed out two tragedies. One is that sometimes churches actually grow under the influence and ministry of these kinds of people, especially if they're energetic and creative and charismatic in their character. They can grow. The second thing is that after they're finished, that church will normally collapse. There will be barn years, a sea of unbelieving children, and empty pews. But it's not just doctrine. It's character. The character of the tree is revealed in the fruit of the tree. Isn't it? The character of the man is revealed in the teaching of the life of the man. And so false prophets, in their work and ministry, they produce evidence that just simply does not ring true. There's inconsistencies. And eventually we see gaps between what they say and how they live. Issues are not dealt with. And truth is watered down. For instance, if we go back to the Beatitude, there's no poverty of spirit. There's little mourning over sin. There's little hungering, thirsting for righteousness. And so it goes on. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Here's the last thing we might say about bewaring of false prophets. Judgment in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. On that last day... If not before, if not before, God will deal with these people. And for sure, for sure, some will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because it's a serious business ministering the word. It's a serious business to mistreat the word. It's a serious business not to teach the whole word of God. Things we need to do as a church here is to love people, to love the truth, and to love God. And when we do that, I don't think we can go terribly far wrong. But if we don't do that, we're potentially in danger. Here's the third thing. We need to walk the walk, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
One of the guys that I listen to and I'm greatly blessed by is describes as all mouth deception. <laughs> I thought that was too good not to share with you. All mouth deception. So Jesus holds up for us an example of, a, of people who give a, a, a spectacular profession of belief. And I suppose, here's my problem and, and your problem. Hypocrisy can impress us, but it doesn't impress God. So, this guy, or many in fact, not just one, many, Lord, he knows, they know the jargon. They can use all the right phrases, all the right words. In fact, it's not just Lord, you'll notice it's Lord, Lord. In other words, they have a zeal, they're passionate, they're enthusiastic. Did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, they were, they're smooth-tongued communicators. Oh, they can get a crowd and keep a crowd and entertain a crowd. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Just like Judas, part of the 72, who went out to do ministry. Do you remember him? He was part of the crowd who got rid of demons. And do many miracles in your name? They say, wow, they've got it all, haven't they? Oh, they've got all, all the extras. They've got a theology. They've got zeal. And they're very impressive. But Jesus says they're utterly lost. Verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Horrific words, yes. Could you ever imagine getting to the judgment seat that we've been thinking about in the book of Revelation and Jesus says to you, I never knew you. Can you imagine hearing anything more horrific ever? Spine-chilling words. One of the books that I find very helpful on the um, Sermon on the Mount is uh, entitled, and the, the title just gets me, Are All Evangelicals Born Again? Question mark. It's easy to say all the evangelical things. This is a trap that we and RPC can get into. We, we, we're an evangelical and reformed church. We're glad to say that. But you know, we can get into this trap of simply just going with the flow Saying the right things. Doing the right things. The question is, who am I? What am I? Am I real? Or a phony? I need to test myself. As you need to test yourselves. Does your life Does my life conform to the character of the kingdom of God that we've been studying over these months? Poor in spirit, is that how I am? Do I mourn over my sin? Am I meek before him? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Am I merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, prepared to be persecuted? 
Am I light in the dark world? Am I salt in the decaying world? Jesus says, you either are or you're not. You're in one camp or the other. And that's why I said right at the very beginning, I think Jesus is less interested in what we say, even though what we say is important. He's less interested even in what we do, even though what we do is important. He's, he's more interested in who we really are. Who we really are. That was a great children's talk, wasn't it? Great illustrations, you know. I could claim to be a surgeon. I mean, I know what BP stands for. Yep. I could scrub up. I've watched enough ER episodes, and some of you probably, what's he talking about? It was a show years ago. I know how to scrub up. I know how to get my nails really clean. I know how to get a line in. I could put the pads on the chest and shout clear. Would you trust me with your life? I could claim to be an airline pilot. I know how to say, fasten your seatbelts. I know how to say, today we're going to fly at 30,000 feet. We've got a headwind and we'll land a few minutes early. I know how to say all those things, but would you get on the plane with me in the cockpit? I could claim, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm... I speak in your name, Lord. I've preached in your name, Lord. I've led a church in your name, Lord. But am I real? Am I real? Are you real today? Are you real? Jesus graciously warns us that we don't suffer from all mouth deception. In a cathedral in Germany, there's a plaque on the wall that says, You call me Master... And obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal. And seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. I think this beautifully reflects the teaching of Jesus in verses 21 to 23. As we conclude the first part of the conclusion of this sermon, two choices, two ways. His way. Or the world's way. Two gates, two roads, two destinations, two crowds. And only two. Only two. Which one? Choose wisely. We're in the day of grace. Choose wisely. Don't walk from this building again today if you know you're not being wise. Come and talk to us. We might be able to help you. But you certainly don't even need us. All you need is to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I have played the fool. I have sinned greatly. And I want you to forgive me because of Jesus. Choose wisely. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are so gracious to us. You spell out all these issues so clearly that even the youngest here can understand, and the oldest. Thank you for these pictures of gates and roads and crowds and sheep and wolves and trees and fruit. So many illustrations, so many pictures. We are without excuse. And Jesus, we pray that you will call your people to yourself. That you will save your people. That you will keep your people. We ask that those in this building today who are not yet saved, who have not yet gone through the narrow gate, that you will call them now by your Spirit. And for those of us who are on that narrow road, will you keep us on the road? Lead us on the road? And use us while on the road? Because you've promised us life. Life now. Life everlasting. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And we bring our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen.